0: Honestly, it was brutal. What if the one thing that I invented that actually made
1: some money, I've just got rid of, and now I don't come up with anything. Hello, and welcome back to Indie Bytes the podcast where I bring new stories from fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today, we have Andy Cloak, who is the founder of DataFetcher, a platform for running API requests in Airtable, which is currently doing around 3K MRR. And he has started many projects in the past. His most recent one, Influence Grid, was sold for 55K back in mid 2020, having only started it seven months before. Throughout this episode, we talk about his framework for finding trending ideas, building the product and being successful with marketing as a developer. We also talk about the process of selling your project and how to make that go smoothly. As Andy knows well, listening to user feedback can help understand the pain points of your users and have them continue to love your product, which is why I'm grateful for a product like Upvotee to exist, who are kindly supporting this episode of IndieBytes. Upvotee is a user feedback tool that makes it easy for you to listen to feedback from your users and prioritize what to build next. Upvotee's feedback board show you all of your user feedback in one place. Then you can close that feedback loop by setting up your change log and product roadmap, allowing your users to be actively involved in building new features and love your product even more. If you wanna give it a go, Upvotee has a 14 day free trial and 10% off any plan with the code IndieBytes. Head to upvotee.com or check the link in the show notes to start your trial. You can also find an extended conversation on the Indie Feast membership where we go into more detail on Andy's background, his fails projects and his recipe for success as a bootstrapper. Andy, welcome to the pod. How are you, mate?
0: Yeah, good, thanks. Happy to be here.
1: Let's get to know you a little bit more. What's your background?
0: So I started working as a developer in 2017 and then started doing projects alongside my contract work. So the first of those was a football site called Kabushi. It was like a quiz site, similar to Sporkle. Our basic idea was build a better Sporkle and figure out money and marketing later on. People did like it, people used it, but people didn't come back to it. So the way that we marketed it was essentially spamming subreddits. So it was once you get banned from all the subreddits, uh, the marketing <laughs> plan's over. Yeah, it died, but definitely learned like a lot about marketing from doing it. And also just like end development, like getting an app kind of.
1: Uh, did you earn any money yeah. from it
0: no <laughs> so we did put ads on we put these horrible banner ads oh. that took up most of the like ui but no one clicked on them and yeah we didn't make any money
1: mm. well, it's good that you were starting projects to learn development and to to use that as sort of a platform for yourself moving on to influence grid which you started in november of 2019 what made you start it what was influence grid
0: influence grid is essentially a directory of TikTok influencers. And so this was like late 2019, pre obviously COVID and lockdown and TikTok suddenly becoming like a household thing. So I came to it because I was looking for a new project and I was looking on the website called Exploding Topics. Yeah, trends that were taken off. And there was one called Nano Influencers, which is people with one to 10,000 followers and Through doing that kind of research and learning a bit more about these influencers, I saw this other trend of TikTok and the fact that was like another like exploding thing. And I thought, I wonder if you could kind of make a product around that some way to like help marketing agencies find and work with these influencers. There didn't seem to be any existing tools. There was loads of stuff for Instagram because Instagram had a really friendly API for quite a few years. There's loads of stuff for like other social platforms, but there's nothing for TikTok. So I thought this looks like there's a gap in the market that seems like a sort of valid problem. And so then spent like a month basically working out how to scrape TikTok. Spent a couple of weeks like building a front end over the database. I had two phones literally set up in my bedroom playing TikTok all day. My brother christened them TikTok and and they literally had this like (laughs) app that was just, it was literally just scrolling through because it's like an endless infinite So they were just like playing TikTok all day. So, and started basically offering like different price plans based on like how many influencers you want to access and grew the kind of MRR slowly over like the next six months.
1: And when you launched in December, how did you get the first few customers for it?
0: Uh, so the first thing I did was cold outreach. So I emailed a bunch of people that had been writing like those articles that I originally found that were saying like TikTok was blowing up. It's the future of influencer marketing. So I just went on rocket reach where you can put in like their LinkedIn URL, get their email and just emailed and said, I enjoyed your article about this. Um, I've just launched a tool in this space. Would love your feedback. So it was very casual. I didn't say, I want you to write an article about it. And the first person that I emailed, he's got a massive blog called Social Media Today. He wrote like a dedicated article that was really complimentary about the tool. So I thought this is going to be really easy. I just need to do cold outreach, but no one else replied. So <laughs> he was literally like the only person of that outreach that replied. But like to get a customer like a week after launching was, was like really good validation.
1: How quickly was it growing in terms of users and MRR?
0: It was growing at about $500 a month, pretty consistently, but there was a variety of different kind of marketing channels that led to that growth. So the next thing I did was product hunt and a couple of people came through there, but the intersection of like the product hunt audience is pretty tiny. Like, um, the next one was basically LinkedIn outreach. A lot of influencers in their bios will put their email or the email of their agency that they, that represents them. And if you look at the domain of that email and go to the website, it would be like these really niche influencer marketing agencies that are basically like talent agencies. Mm. So basically all those companies I could extract from the database influences that I had, go to LinkedIn, find the company, send a connection request to their CEO, or depending on how big they were, I'd target like the right person and say, I've built this tool, do you want to check it out? It's going to help you find more people like X, the person that you represent. And that was insane for the first bit. So it was like 5% paid conversion rate that got me like another like grand or something in MRR, it was working really nicely, but there was obviously a limit to how many agencies there are. And once I'd sent mm-hmm. a request to all of them, it, it stopped working. And after that, it moved on to SEO. So that was stuff I put in place like right from the start, but it didn't kick in for three or four months because SEO never does, um, which was a mixture of programmatic SEO. So. Doing like the nomad list thing of having all these long tail landing pages. So basically, like top TikTok influencers in Argentina or in mm-hmm. United Kingdom or whatever. And so they were just like hoovering up these long tail words, which none of them really had much search volume, but their search volume went up as TikTok went up. And there was very little competition. So eventually, by the time I sold it, it was getting like a thousand organic visitors a day. And like a couple of those would come there
1: yeah and you mentioned you sold it how did that come about was it your goal at the start to start this project and sell it or how did it come about
0: it definitely wasn't my goal at start the goal at start was just yeah make some sort of project that makes some money and so anything else was a bonus i mean the other goal was to learn a bit more about seo because i kept reading this is just like the way to grow a business long term so yeah achieve those two things but the problem with it was it's just the fragility of building a business on scraping at any point and if it got to any sort of size, TikTok could have just come in and shut it down. So it always felt like it was a bit precarious. So that's why I started like looking at selling it.
1: And how, how did you come across finding your buyer for it? Because you've got uh, platforms like Flipper and Micro Acquire. Did you go through one of those?
0: Yeah, so I looked at those platforms. The problem with Flipper is I think they want, however much they take in the end, I think it's 10 or 20%. If you sell it outside of their platform during the time that you're talking to them and listing with them, they still want... 10% the other platforms like Ethy international want you to have been around for a year before you list on them. So you've got a year of revenue micro acquire. I did list on there, but didn't really get any serious uh, offers for it. So the other way I did was just posting on LinkedIn, posting on Twitter, Indie hackers, hacker news, and basically just a post saying, I'm selling this. This is what the MRR is. Here's my email and just waiting for people to come in. And then basically what happened is everyone emailed like a very similar set of questions. So what's the tech stack? How have you grown it? Why are you selling it? And so I basically. Got all those questions, wrote them into like a Google Doc, and yeah, just like a pretty open, because I'd been open about yeah. the metrics the whole time. So I just basically just brain dumped like everything about the project into this Google Doc and then shared that link. And what was nice about that is with Google Docs, obviously you can see who else is looking at the same time. So that created, I think, a bit of sort of almost (laughs) like competition or something where everyone could see that like the, you know, anonymous badger was competing with them for, I don't know, to make an offer. So then offers came in like fairly quickly after that. Through speaking to a couple of people like Flipper and Effie International stuff, they'd given me some like rough valuations. If it's not a strategic thing, the multiple is usually like three to five annual revenue. Um, It also had all the risks that I mentioned about being shut down and stuff like that. So I knew that Although some people are saying, oh, you should be getting like 250 grand for this. And you, realistically, it was going to be more like 40 to maybe a hundred the top, And so that was where my thinking was. The other factors that obviously affect it, do they want you to stick around at all? Or do they want to pay up front? So like most of the offers that came in, 10 or 20% up front. And then not that I had to be involved, but you'd get paid a percentage of the revenue yeah, like the next year. Payout. And I didn't see any point in doing that because the whole, my whole reason for selling was to de-risk. So I wanted all the money up front. So that also reduce the total the price.
1: Did you go through a broker or did they just reach out from one of those LinkedIn posts?
0: No, it was, I think it was Twitter or LinkedIn. So it was bought by an American company that had a similar tool for Instagram. When it came to the actual money, I wasn't sure, do we need to use like an escrow service who also take a couple of percent? I think normally that would be the way you do it. They were quite happy just to
1: transfer the money into my bank account. So you you sold it for $55,000. It's not a life-changing amount of money, nor is it really a good yearly salary for a developer. But you you, you do get it up front. You do get the money into your bank account. How did you feel after getting the money and sort of looking and going, yeah, that's kind of nice. Did did you buy yourself anything nice?
0: So it was the middle of lockdown, so I bought like a (laughs) really big delivery order. Um, (laughs) But it was really exciting. In some ways, it was just really nice validation that, because I think you do make sacrifices like as an indie hacker, basically just like working on the weekends a lot. And a lot of that is unrewarded and you're not sure if you should keep going or whether you should just like, I don't know, see your mates more or do like more like normal stuff. So in some ways it was just like, oh, actually it was worth doing all this work outside of normal work. I think other than that, I basically thought this buys me a bit more time. So if I want to take like the next six to 12 months off and try other projects, I've earned the right to do that now.
1: So after the intense sale process, you bought yourself a big delivery order. What did you wake up and do the next day slash next few weeks? What, What did you move on to afterwards?
0: Yeah. So I took a few days off and then started looking for like the next idea. So basically went back to the same process, looking at exploding topics looking at there's a newsletter called software ideas by kevin conti that's quite good so Mm -hmm. looking at some of his stuff looking at tyler trings Microsass ebook which has got a whole chapter on finding an idea so i do have a meat grinder where you're basically finding reasons not to do an idea and i spent about two months doing this honestly it was brutal because it was really stressful just looking at like having done something once it almost put a bit more pressure on of like i need to find something new i need to find something that makes money the last thing did and what if Cause like, it is really hard to make that, to get that first sale. And so I, my thought process sometimes was like, what if the one thing that I invented that actually made some money, I've just got rid of. And now I don't come up with anything. And it was, mm. it was really tough actually.
1: Why did you land on, uh, what you're working on now with, with Data Fetcher?
0: So the way I came to it, so I, it was 2020 that was that newsletter craze. And I kind of looked at, maybe I could launch like a newsletter. And one of the ones I tried was like an IPOs newsletter and I organized the data for it in Airtable and wanted a way to pull in IPO data into Airtable. And so that's where I first encountered the pain point that Data Fetcher solves. So then like a month or two later, I was looking at product Hunt and I came across this product called API Connector, which is Mm -hmm. like the Google Sheets version of Data Fetcher. I thought maybe I could build this for Airtable because I'd come into that problem a little while before. So I basically
1: started development on it after that. This is actually the second recording we've done for the show, because since our first recording a few short months ago, Andy has grown data from $800 MRR. I'm right about churn problems to over 2750 MRR and scaling. So Andy, a meteoric rise, what have you been doing over the past few months to, to grow data fetcher?
0: So yeah, it's gone up really quickly, much quicker than I anticipated, to be honest, which I can't explain all of some of it is just, I think, good luck and being nice and early to a market like Airtable, that's just growing. I think some of the stuff I have been doing is content marketing and basically the kind of high level plan is pick an API that people can use data fetcher with like Stripe, a Shopify, Eventbrite. And then I'll make a YouTube video showing a kind of common use case. So how to import your Stripe customers to Airtable. And then I'll write like a blog post to go with it, like a written tutorial that people can follow along with and copy stuff from.
1: And Andy, you do a pretty good job at spotting these opportunities building a product and and growing it, you did it with Influence Grid and now you're doing it with Data Fetcher and you're doing like a good job. A lot of people would love to be at that MRR number. Is there any trick to it?
0: I don't know about a trick. I definitely have a framework that I've followed for both of the projects that have made some money and that one is quite simply find a platform that's growing massively, look at kind of similar platforms that are a bit older and a bit more mature. So for TikTok, it was Instagram, for Airtable it was Google Sheets. I think the hard thing then is still obviously executing and, and like getting the timing but also just not picking up still something that has a good business model so for example with influence code like there wasn't really an expansion revenue like people didn't really upgrade very much mm. because there wasn't a good usage metric of like something that people did more of that want made them want to pay more and but with data fetch there has been and so number of api requests is actually a really nice metric that drives expansion revenue which kind of mitigates against churn
1: how did you stay focused on data fetcher when things weren't growing as fast as you wanted it to it may have been sticking around that 400 i remember seeing you at about 400 thinking i don't know how well this is going to work and then at 800 you were having some of the churn issues how have you stuck with that and not got distracted by other shiny object ideas
0: yeah it's definitely tough at points so one thing is just being in weekend club the like bootstrapping community in london and just speaking to people through there when when you're at the low points just having people that you can reject and be like Is this going to work? I think the other thing is just that actually getting something from zero to say 500 MRR, that's probably the hardest bit because getting that first paying customer and then the first like 10, 20, that's really difficult. So actually getting to there, if you can do that, you can probably grow it beyond that. having done that, I've not really been too distracted. And now I don't even really think of new ideas that much. I'm mainly just thinking of new features, new marketing channels, and actually just trying to like double down on what is working.
1: Good man. And another milestone in going all in in any SaaS project or any bootstrappers project is getting the .com domain. And you recently took DataFetcher from datafetcher.io to datafetcher.com. What made it the right moment to buy that .com domain, Andy, and how much did you spend on it?
0: Um, It was about four and a half grand, so 4,500 US. And it was always the danger of, one, someone might buy this once I become like a recognized brand and then try and charge me 20 grand for it. So I was always like, Mm -hmm. I should do this, but... I should get to a point where things are working. I think when I got to two k, I was like, "It's time to do it." There's also the SEO factor as well. So just being able to get that .com a little bit earlier means when other people or when I'm linking uh, to the domain, it's got the actual correct domain as well. So although you can do three hundred one redirects, it's still just nicer just to have the links coming back to the .com.
1: Is that the most you spent on a domain?
0: By far, yeah.
1: <laughs> I end every episode. three recommendations a book an indie hacker people should follow and a podcast they should listen to
0: i've listened to your podcast enough to know this was coming um so the book would be blue ocean strategy so it's a business book basically about um not fighting over the same market but trying to invent and create new markets the podcast would be start Up to last which mm-hmm. is by two guys called rick and tyler and then the indie hacker would be john young fook who's got banner bit mm-hmm. he's just really good at sharing everything in public
1: well andy thank you so much for joining thanks a lot it's been a pleasure Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Indie Bites. I hope you found Andy's story interesting. As always, links and references throughout the episode will be in the show notes. And again, if you want a longer extended one hour plus version of this conversation, that'll be in the Indie Feast membership. The link, of course, will be in the show notes.